Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. We're excited about today. We are in a series called How to Eat an Elephant. Have y'all been here for this? Have you been part of this? Yes. So week one was all about what is the one thing? What's sort of the big deal for 2016? How As we think about 2016, how do we make this the best year ever? How do we live with more intention? How do we do what God has for us to do? And so week one was all about what's that purpose? What's that thing that drives us and motivates us and gets us out of bed in the morning? And then last week was all about thoughts. And man, if you missed it, please go through the app and rewatch it or grab the podcast because this is powerful where Pastor Chuck talks about a thought leading to an action, then an action becoming a habit, and then a habit shaping our character and our destiny. So that was very, very cool. This week, we're talking about friends. We're talking about friends. It would be impossible to talk about how to make 2016 the best year ever without talking about the people, the relationships, the friendships that we have in our lives. It'd be impossible. It'd be impossible to think about how am I going to achieve all that God wants me to? How am I going to become the husband, the parent, the leader, whatever that is for you? How am I going to become those things without thinking about the friends that are in our lives? I heard a quote uh, a couple weeks ago that has really stayed with me. Here's the quote. It says this, it is impossible It's impossible to live the right life with the wrong friends. It's impossible to live the right life with the wrong friends. This person went on to say, he said, show me your friends and I will show you your future. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And so the truth that comes to all of us is that we're the sum total of the five people that are closest to us. We're the total of the people around us. And so in our culture, when we talk about friends, it's easy to think about, well, of course I've got a lot of good friends. I mean, we think about social media where we've got Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. The studies show that the average American spends over two and a half hours on those things. Two and a half hours on Instagram, uh, uh, Facebook, Twitter. And yet at the end of the day, if you were to, if somebody were to ask you, who is your closest friend? Who are those people that, that God's using in your life? For a lot of us, it would be hard. It'd be hard. Because for many of us, we're relationally impoverished. About every other year, I get to lead a team on a mission trip to Kenya. We serve with one of our ministry partners there called Care for AIDS. And we've got a trip coming up this fall. But I remember my first trip to Kenya with Care for AIDS, the guy that was guiding us around, a guy named Nick, said to us, he was giving us context. When we were traveling from site to site, from place to place, he'd give us little lessons in what they're doing and, and the great need around the world. And I'll never forget on that first day, on our first trip, he said, there's three kinds of poverty. Now, most of the time, whenever I think about poverty, I I immediately think of material poverty. But he went on to say there's more than just material poverty. He said, yes, of course, there's material poverty, but there is also spiritual poverty. You know that it's possible to have a bunch of stuff, to have a great house, to have a lot of things and a great job, but still be empty on the inside. 
And so he talked about material poverty. He talked about spiritual poverty. But then he talked about a third kind of poverty called relational poverty. Relational poverty. See, it's possible to have 700 friends on Instagram. It's possible to have 700 friends on Twitter. And yet when, when, when life happens and you need somebody that you can reach out to, you're like, I don't know who I could call. I don't know who, who would be there for me. And so I found myself in Kenya on that first trip, standing in the middle of a slum where there's no running water, where there's not electricity. And at one moment, I'm thinking to myself, how could anybody live like this? And honestly, when I went on that first trip, I thought, I'm going to bless them. But in the middle of that slum, I realized I was the one being blessed because at one hand, I'm like, how could anybody live like this? And then on the other hand, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm jealous of them. Why? Because they had such joy. They had such hope. They had true relationships. And so today, as we think about how to eat an elephant, the next step we've got to take, the next bite we've got to take is we've got to ask ourselves, do I have the essential relationships in my life? Because the truth is we might just be one relationship away from changing the course of our lives. We could be one friendship away from becoming the man of God, the woman of God that God's created us to be. We could be one relationship away from being the group that God created us to be. We need intentional friends in our lives. And I'm not just talking about friends that are at the same age or stage where you're 16, you're like, I want to hang out with another 16-year-old, or I'm in college, I want another college student, I, I, I'm 50 and I've got, I've got a family, I want to hang out with another 50-year-old that's got a family. That, that's great, but we need cross-generational friends in our life that can help us to be who God created us to be. One of those people in my life is a guy named P.J. Scott. He's probably 35, 40 years older than me, but God used him as that kind of friend in my life. When I was in high school, I sort of had this idea of what I wanted to do with my life and where I was going to go to school, and then I was wrestling with the sense that God's called me to serve within a church, and, I, and he knew that internal struggle. He knew my family. He knew the, sort of the backstory, and I'll never forget sitting across the table from PJ Scott where he just sort of leaned in, and he began to say, Bobby, this is what I see God doing inside of you in that friendship has literally changed the course of my life. We need those kind of friends. And so today, if you've got the, the sermon handout on the right side of the bulletin, I'm going to invite you to write down three kind of essential friends I believe every single one of us need. Three friendships, three relationships that I believe God wants to use in our life in 2016 to change the course of our life. And for many of us, as we look at this list today, there's going to be one friendship or maybe two friendships that will walk out of here and say, man, I want to have that kind of friend. And so today I want to look at the story of a guy in the Old Testament whose name is David. Now, chances are you've heard of David. You know who he is. He did amazing things in his life. He also did some dumb stuff in his life. So I, I love that about the Bible. The Bible does not uh, overlook that. The Bible records the ups and the downs. And in David's life, 
God, he had tons of friends. He had tons of friendships. He, he had a ton of people around him, but there were three people that God used in a powerful way to help him to become the man that God could use. And so the first one is found in 1 Samuel 16. The first one is found in 1 Samuel 16. David's still a teenager. David's still a kid. David has a lot of older brothers. And what's happened, the little backstory of this is Saul, one chapter before this, Saul, the first king of Israel, was on a downward slide. He'd been disqualified. He, he was being uprooted as king. And so there was a prophet living in that time named Samuel. And so God says to Samuel, I want you to go and I want you to anoint the next king of Israel. And honestly, Samuel had this internal tension inside of him because he remembered the days before there were kings. He remembered the days of the judges. He remembered the good old days. He's like, why can't we go back to that and God says, I have a king who has a heart that's after me. I want you to go and anoint him. And so he follows God's instructions. God says, go to Bethlehem, go to the house of a guy named Jesse. And so he does all of those things. Jesse hears that Samuel's coming. And so Jesse gets excited. He's like, one of my sons is going to be the next king. Well, he's got several sons and the youngest son is David. And, and Jesse thinks there's no way David's going to be the next king. He's a little shepherd guy. He likes to play the harp out in the field. There is no way he's going to be the next king. And so he leaves David out in the field. He lines up all of his other sons. Samuel shows up. Samuel looks at the first son. Jesse's thinking, of course, this is going to be the guy. He's good looking. He's tall. He's strong. He's a natural born leader. This is the guy. And God whispers in the heart of Samuel, he's not the one. In fact, let me read you this verse. Here's what it says in verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance. Don't look on his height or his stature because I have rejected him. Jesse's thinking, this is obviously the next king. And God says, I've rejected him. And then he goes on to say at the end of verse 7, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the, on the heart. And so he goes from one son to the next. He's like, no, nope, he's not the king. 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 And so finally he gets to the end of the line and he's like, the king isn't here. Do you have any more sons? And Jesse reluctantly says, yeah, I've got another son. He's a little different, but we'll go get him. And when he brings his son, Samuel looks at him and listen to what it says in verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, upon David from that day. He looks at the most obvious people and over and over again, God says, nope, he's not the one, no, he's not the one, no, he's not the one. God says, I don't look on the outside, I look at your heart. And so the moment Samuel sees David, it says back in verse 12, God says, arise and anoint him for this is he. God helped Samuel see something in David that nobody else could see. God helped Samuel call something out of David and that changed his life forever. Do you have that kind of friend? Do you have somebody that, number one, helps you get better? Do you have someone that helps you get better to become who 
God created you to be. Do you know somebody like that? For me, there's a lot of examples, but one example is a guy named Brian. Brian's just a few years older than me, but man, this guy is successful. This guy is driven. This guy is godly. He's not perfect. He's got scars and bumps and bruises in his life, but uh, man, he's intentional. And so I remember one of the times I sat down with Brian, who's a guy that I've known from a distance for a while and, and had the opportunity to become close friends with him. And I'll never forget Brian sitting across from the table from me when I was at this important moment in my life and him looking me eyeball to eyeball saying, Bobby, you know what I see? I see somebody that is a quiet driver. I see somebody that's a natural born leader. I see somebody that, that's going to cause ripples to happen. I'm telling you, I was sitting there in this vulnerable moment at sort of a crossroads of, of, of knowing who I, who I believe God wants me to be, but yet seeing all the shortcomings in my life. And I'm telling you to have somebody like Brian sitting across the table from me saying, I see what God's doing inside of you. And then at the end of our conversation, giving me this giant bear hug and looking me in the eyeball and saying, Bobby, you're a good man. Do you have a friend like that? Do you have a friend that helps you become better? Do you have a friend that helps you grow closer to God? Do you have a friend that helps you become better in the things that matter most? Because what happens for a lot of us is a lot of our friendships happen by accident. A lot of our friendships happen by accident. It's just the person we sit next to in algebra. It's the person whose kids are on the same team as my kid. It's the, it's the person that we work with. A lot of our friendships happen accidentally, but we need purposeful friendships in our life. Do the people in your life help you to become better? Because I'm telling you, if you're hanging out with people that are bashing their spouse all over and over and over again, chances are they're not going to help you have a better marriage. If you're hanging out with somebody that's making dumb mistake after dumb mistake after dumb mistake, chances are you're going to have those kind of mistakes in your life. If you're hanging out with somebody that, that man, they're, they're, they're just, you know, throwing down a dozen donuts at a time, they're not going to help you with that 2016 goal, right? They're not going to help you in in the area of fitness. Do you have somebody in your life that helps you become better? And are you that person in somebody else's life? Because you could be one friendship away from changing the course of your life. You could be one friendship away from becoming better. You could be one friendship away of being the husband, the the spouse, the wife, the the parent, the teacher. You could be one friendship away. So number one, we all need friends that help us get better. If you're taking notes, you can write down Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, where it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. Do you have a friend that helps you be better? The second kind of friend. So number one, in David's life, he had a Samuel that helped him get better. And then the second kind of friend is number two, he had a friend who helped him find strength. He had a friend who helped him find strength. This is found in, in 1 Samuel chapter 23. In 1 Samuel 23, David has been anointed to be the next king, but he's not the next king yet. 
Right, Samuel has anointed him, has set him apart in this private ceremony. You're going to be the next king, but he's not the next king yet. Saul is still on the throne. Well, the problem is, by this time, by 1 Samuel 23, David's become a warrior. And so he goes out and he fights battles, and his popularity begins to grow and grow and grow and grow. Everybody's like, David's the man. He's the guy. He's awesome. I can't wait until he's king. And so because of that, Saul gets jealous. In fact, he's so popular at this time that ladies start singing songs about him. They're like, Saul kills his thousand, David kills his 10,000. He's the guy. And because of that, Saul gets jealous. Saul gets angry. Saul begins to say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to track him down and I'm going to kill him. And so when you read some of the Psalms and when David's saying, help, Lord, Where are you, God? The godly cease to appear. The wicked, they're running amok. When he's writing a lot of those psalms, it's coming out of real moments. It's not just, hey, this is poetic. This sounds great. He had hit the bottom over and over and over again. And so in this moment, 1 Samuel 23, he's on the run from Saul. In 1 Samuel 23, he's he's hiding out, waiting for help. And in this moment, listen to what it says in 1 Samuel 23, verse 15. David saw, uh, David saw that Saul had come to seek out his life, to kill him. David was in the wilderness, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose. He went out to David, and he strengthened his hand in God. One translation says, he helped him find strength. You need a friend like that. I need a friend like that. There's going to be moments in 2016 when life happens. There's going to be moments where that thing that we thought would never happen happens to us. Or maybe it's that thing we never thought we'd ever do, we end up doing. And maybe that, that, that unexpected scare, that unexpected health deal, that unexpected whatever, it's going to happen. And there's going to be a moment where we hit rock bottom. There's going to be a time when we feel all alone. There's going to be a moment where we feel like, I I don't know if I can go forward. I don't know if I can do this. It would be easier if I just quit. And in the middle of that moment, we all need a friend that shows up in the middle of that moment to help us find strength, to help us find courage to help us not give up, to help us not quit, to help us not to lose heart and say, God, I'm done. We need that kind of person to help us pull up courage. Not long ago, I was in a season where I needed this. I was in a season where I, I, I just had more on my plate than I knew what to do with. I had all these meetings going on. I had all, all the speaking going on. I was, just, I was just emotionally at a low. I was physically worn out. Spiritually, I'd poured out so much that I was in the season where I felt empty. And I was just transparent with one of my friends. I said, I, 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 I just feel empty right now. I feel vulnerable. I need to make some changes. And God used this friend to look me in the eye and say, God's using you. God's used you in my life personally. God's used you in my son. 
And beyond all of that, God says that he promises to never leave us, to never forsake us. That even like the disciples are wigging out in the boat, God, we don't know what's going to happen. The waves and wind are coming. He's in the boat with you. And that friend helped me to find the strength and the courage I needed in that season. Do you have that kind of friend? Not just a friend that's fun to hang out with them. That's fine. But do you have a friend that when you need it, you know you can call them? Do you have a friend that you know will cry with you, that will pray with you and for you? Do you have that kind of friend where you're on the brink of the edge and you don't know where you're going to turn? Do you have that kind of person that's going to be there with you, kneecap to kneecap, eyeball to eyeball, arm around you, praying for you, hugging you, encouraging you? We all need that kind of friend. We all need to be that friend to somebody else. Number one, we need a friend that makes us better. Number two, we need a friend that helps us find strength, not just, not just hanging out, but better and stronger. And then the third kind of friend that every single one of us needs is we need a friend that loves us enough that they tell us the truth. We need a friend that loves us enough that they tell us the truth. In 2 Samuel, in chapter, uh, chapter 12, David has committed one of the most egregious sins ever. If you know the story, David had slept with uh, somebody else's wife. Her, her name was Bathsheba. Uh, he had her husband killed, and honestly, for about a year, it didn't phase him. He'd caught up so much that at this point, he's the king. He's been a king for a long time. Everybody, David, you're the man. And, and so he, he started to believe his own press. He started to drink his own Kool-Aid. And so David's like, I, I can do whatever I want to. And so he's, he's majorly blown it. I mean, he's majorly, he, he's majorly sinned against God. And he thought, man, it doesn't matter. He doesn't even think about it. And yet there's a friend named Nathan that shows up in his life. And Nathan tells him a story. He tells him sort of a little parable. He says, look, David, there, there, there are these two guys that are neighbors. They live side by side. One guy has more than enough. One guy is barely making it. Right? One guy has plenty. One guy has nothing. The one guy that has plenty has a bunch of everything he needs. He's got lambs. He's got sheep. He's got it all. The neighbor guy only has one little lamb. This lamb isn't like an animal. It's like part of his family. And he goes on to tell the story. And one day, the, the rich guy that had plenty had company coming into town. And so he wanted to fix them a nice meal. And so if, instead of taking from one of his many animals to prepare their meals, he stole the one lamb from the guy that had nothing. And the whole time Nathan's telling the story, David's getting aggravated, right? He's getting agitated. His blood pressure's going up. His heart's beating. He's like, I can't believe this. What a jerk. What a guy. I mean, how, how, how could he do that? And so Nathan's telling the story. The rich guy took the only thing that the poor guy had. And at the end of the story, Nathan's like, what do you think ought to happen to that guy? And David, getting angry, he stands up and he's like, that guy should die. And then Nathan turns in that moment and says, David, you're the man. You're the man. You're the guy that had everything. You're the guy that had more than enough. 
You're the guy that could, if you didn't have it, you could just ask for it. And yet, even though you had everything you could ever want, you took the one thing that this poor guy had. You took his wife, David. You're the man. I doubt that was easy for David to hear. I doubt in that moment David was singing Nathan's praises. I I doubt that. But God used Nathan in David's life who loved him enough to tell him the truth that when he spoke that truth in love, it broke David's heart. That friendship helped him to see this, this gap in his life that he couldn't see himself. And that's how God uses friends in our life, that yes, it's great to hang out with friends that that we agree with and we're exactly like, but man, every single one of us, myself included, we need somebody that loves us enough that they'll speak truth into our life, not in a hateful way, not in a judgmental way, but in a way to say, Bobby, there's this blind spot in in your life. There's this thing you're overlooking and this blind spot, if you're not careful, it could be the thing that undoes whatever God's trying to do in your life. And so out of that moment, David's heart is exposed and out of that moment, he feels vulnerable and it's out of that moment that he writes Psalm 51, which is a Psalm of saying, God, I'm so, so sorry. It's in Psalm 51 that he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. This is the same guy that early on when he was a teenager, God says, I'm not looking at his outside, I'm looking at his heart. And now in Psalm 51, David's like, would you clean up my heart again? Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit inside of me. Cast me not away from your presence, but return to me the joy of my salvation. We need that kind of friend in our life. We need somebody that loves us enough to tell us the truth. We could be one friend away from changing the course of our lives. We could be one friend away from shaping the course of our life. The danger, the negative side of this is that if we're not careful, we'll allow our lives to be shaped by the wrong kind of people. I mean, for some of us, if something doesn't change in 2016, the the, the direction that our friendships are leading us down is leading us towards addiction. The direction that some of our friendships are leading us is towards negativity. The friendships that that some of us are hanging out with are leading us towards divorce. We need to to stop and say, do I have the right kind of friends in my life? And to be less dramatic, maybe your friendships aren't leading you into some crazy direction. Maybe some of our friendships are leading us to stay the same. To be lukewarm to live life on the fence where we're not doing anything really wrong, but we're not doing anything really right away. You could be one friendship away from becoming better. You could be one friendship away from having the marriage you always dreamt about. You could be one friendship away from being the parent that you always wanted to be. 
You could be one friendship away of being that kind of friend and somebody else. You could be one friendship away from living as generously as you had hoped that you could live. You could be one friendship away from changing your life forever. You could be one friendship away from meeting the true friend, Jesus Christ. And this isn't just about who are the friends in your life. God wants you to be that kind of friend in somebody else's. Sometimes people ask, well, you know, that all sounds great. Friends that make us better, friends that help us find strength, friends that, that, that tell us the truth. How do I find that kind of friend? Well, it comes down to our grandmother's advice, doesn't it? If you want to have that kind of friend, then you got to what? you got to be that kind of friend. God wants to use you in the life of somebody else to change the course of their life. And you have no idea how God's going to use that. Let's pray together this morning. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Would you pray with me? You can be one friendship away. One friendship away. 2016, you could be one friendship away from the marriage you wanted, from being the parent that you dreamt you would be. You could be one friendship away from waking up in the morning with a sense of purpose and destiny. You could be one friendship away. As we pray this morning, I just want to know how to pray for us. If that's you and you're like, man, I want to have that kind of friend in my life. I want, want friends that make me better. I want friends that help make me stronger. I want friends that help point out the weak areas of my life. If that's you, and you'd allow me to pray for you, would you just quietly slip your hands straight up in the air, straight up in the air? That's me, that's me, that's me. That's the kind of friend I want in my life. Yeah, anybody else? You'd say, that's me. I, I, I'm praying for that. you pray would you pray something like this dear Jesus help me to have the eyes to see those friends help me to see them God give me the courage to follow through with it as we continue praying is there anybody that would just say Bobby pray for me I want to be that kind of friend to somebody I want to be the kind of person that instead of pointing out everything wrong can point out what's right, help them become better. I want to be the kind of friend that helps people find courage and spiritual strength. I want to be the kind of friend that loves them enough to tell them the truth. If that's you, would you just slip your hands straight up in the air, straight up in the air. pray this part of the prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I pray that you would give me the eyes to see beneath the surface of my friends' lives. Help me to see what, see beyond the surface and into their hearts. Help me to see them the way that you see them. Father, help me to call out what you're doing in their life, to help them find strength to help them grow. 
as we pray, just one last question. Is there anybody this morning that would say, Bobby, pray for me? There's never been a moment that I've truly met Jesus, the true friend. There's never been a moment that I've truly put my trust and my hope in him, my confidence in him. And you just say, Bobby, pray for me. I need him in my life. I need his forgiveness. I need his fresh start. If that's you and you'd allow me to pray for you, would would you do the same thing? Just hold your hands straight up in the air, straight up in the air. Yeah. Anybody else? You just be honest. Yeah. I need him in my life. Yeah. Wow. If that's you, would you pray this part of the prayer with me and pray it in your head, in your heart? It's not the words that, that, that saves anybody. It's what we believe. If you're ready to put your trust in Jesus, would you just say, dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And I know that that sin separates me from you. But I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you're alive today. And as best as I know how, I ask you to step out of heaven and step into my heart and save me, rescue me. If you prayed that in your minute, would you just go on and say, thank you for rescuing me. I mean, it's so easy for us to think, man, my, my life is gone. I've done too many things. But the truth is for David, some of the best things he did in his life happened after he turned from his sin. One of the things we love around here is that God can reach into any person's life and he can pull out something new. Father, all across this room, we pray that you would help us to have those friends we pray that you'd help us to be that kind of friend. And Father, I pray for those that for the very first time ask you to be the true friend in their life. Would you strengthen them today? Would you give them courage? Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.